And this morning, I want to thank each and every one of you for coming out today just to join us in worship, join us in coming together as a body of believers to worship and to glorify our God. But I also want to thank you all for giving us the opportunity to have this Youth Sunday. I thank you for giving me the opportunity to come up here and preach. I know there's always a little bit of worry whenever you hear the word youth pastors preaching, but, you know, I appreciate the chance. I appreciate it. I appreciate you guys allowing the students to come up here and lead you all in worship and the students to be out there serving you as well. So there's a few reasons why we have these Youth Sundays. First off, we have these Youth Sundays to kind of show you guys what type of things really happen in our student ministry. You know, that we're not always over there just playing games and goofing off all the time, but that there's real stuff that's going on as well. And on the second hand, it's also to give you guys a real student ministry experience. And so this morning, in order for you guys to have a true, full Southwest Christian Church student ministry experience, I have to tell you guys a secret. One thing that all of my students know about me is I am horrible at coming up with intros. They are the absolute worst things in the world, and whenever I would get ready and plan a lesson for my students, this is what I spent the most amount of my time on. I knew exactly what I was going to say. I knew when I was going to say it. I had everything else planned out except for my intros. And I would sit there and try to use every ounce of creativity in my body to come up with an intro. And it would still take me hours to come up with a, you know, half class intro. It really was not that good. So after spending countless hours trying to come up with intros for all of my lessons, I ended up deciding that I was going to come up with one universal intro that I would use before every one of my lessons. And so in order to ensure that you get the full student ministry experience, there would be no other way to start but to start like this. So this morning, as we dive into God's word, as we go into the word that he has for us, let's talk about Jesus. So um, over the past few weeks... Craig has been going through a sermon series titled The Big Picture Perspective, where he has been walking us through the book of Philippians to see what Paul's big picture perspective is on specific topics. So this morning, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27, as we look at Paul's big picture perspective on the unity of the church. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jew or Gentile, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts that we think are less honorable we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that, there should, uh, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. 
If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. As the church, we should not segregate ourselves into separate parts. Rather, we should be unified as the body of Christ. Let me say this again. As the church, we should not segregate ourselves into separate parts. Rather, we should be unified as the body of Christ. Now, church, I ask that as we work through this sermon, as we go through God's word today, I ask that you open your heart and you open your mind to this today, to really grasp what God is attempting to say to you about the unity of the church. But in order for us to truly understand what this means, we have to first gain an understanding of what the body of Christ really is. So to answer that, I ask you, look around. Look at the person next to you. Now, look at the person on the other side that you clearly don't like as much. Look at the people behind you, people in front of you. Look at the people all throughout this church. This right here is the body of Christ. These people in this room are the body of Christ. Here in this room, there are people of all different types, people from all different walks, all different backgrounds, who don't look the same, don't act the same, aren't the same age, don't think the same. But here in this room, Regardless of any of those things, you are still part of the body. This right here is the body of Christ. If we look back in the text, if we look back in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul tells us that, yes, there are many parts to a body. There are tons of different parts that come together to form one body. But at the end of the day, there is still one body. And so it is here in this room. There are many different people in here. Tons of different people in here from all different backgrounds, but all of us come together to form the one body. We even look back in the, in the text as well, and he tells us that, look, in our baptism, in our proclamation of our faith, when we cry out to God and say, look, Lord, you are my Lord and my Savior. I accept the gift of grace that you have given me and the gift of forgiveness that you are giving me. When we accept that, we've been brought together to form the one body. But it doesn't just stop with us as individuals. It doesn't just stop as with each one of us as individuals coming together to form the body. But it's extended into all the different ministries that we have as well. Student ministry, children's, women's, men's, mission. All these different ministries that we have, even just here at Southwest. But it doesn't stop there as well. It continues on in all the different ministries that we have here in the community, here within the state, here within the world. All of these ministries coming here together to form the one body. We need to begin to view ourselves not as individuals, not as separate ministries, not as different people in different ministries that make up different bodies, but as one body that has come together to glorify God. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that having these separate ministries is a bad thing because there are huge benefits in having separate ministries. There are huge benefits in having women's ministries where when one woman is struggling, they go up behind her and say, look, sister, we are here for you. We understand that you are going through these financial problems. We understand that you are struggling right now, but we're here for you. We understand that you and your husband are arguing. We understand that you feel like this relationship will never be built up the way it used to be, but we are here for you, and we're going to fight with you, and we're going to walk with you through this journey no matter how long it takes. There are extreme benefits in having these types of ministries. There are extreme benefits in having student ministries. I would not be here on this stage right now if it was not for my youth pastor. If it was not for my youth pastor coming alongside me and saying, look, Gavin, I care for you, man. Gavin, I care for you. 
When I was called to ministry, he was the first person that I told. Immediately, I went up to Aaron, and I said, look, I feel as if God has called me into ministry. And he said, Gavin, I'm so proud of you. Gavin, I'm so proud and so excited to see what God has in store for you. He walked alongside me through my journey and is still here with me today. I would not be up here on this stage if it was not for my fellow friends that were here in that student ministry with me, walking alongside me and saying, look, Gavin, we're here for you, man. We are so excited that you've been called to ministry, and we're going to walk with you through this journey. There are huge benefits in having these separate ministries. Paul even says earlier in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, he tells us that, yes, there are different gifts, but there is one spirit. Yes, there are different acts of service, and yes, there are different ministries, but there is one Lord. And yes, there are different workings, but all work together to glorify God. And when we lose sight of that, that's when the problem arises. When we begin to look at ourselves and when we begin to look at all of these ministries as separate from each other, as individual from each other, and when we all begin to set our own goals for ourselves and our own goals for these ministries that is separate from the glorification of our God, that is when the problems arise. The problems start when we begin to view ourselves as separate from the body as a whole. Now, as you guys should know, as a youth pastor, it is impossible for me to teach a lesson or preach a sermon without some type of game involved. And so students, if you guys would, if you guys would come forward. Cool. So students, as you guys see, each one of you guys has two buckets on your tables. One bucket that is full of water, one bucket that is completely empty. Sasha, you over here, you have a cup that is fully intact. Go ahead and show it. Present it. Boom. There you go. Fully in cup tact. Daniel, you on the other hand, my friend, your cup has had some stuff that happened to it. It's in a bit of a pickle. Your cup has been cut apart. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to set a timer, and I'm going to have you guys using your cup in whatever state that it may be, bring as much water as you can from the bucket with water to the empty bucket. You ready? On your mark, get set, go. <laughs> All right, stop. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you guys' help. Cool. So, this bucket here that started out with water, this represents God's love and God's truth. This bucket over here that started out as empty, this represents the world. Church, we are the cup. It is our job as the church to bring Christ's love and his truth to the world around us. But if we see here, there's a huge difference compared to when we are together to when we are broken. Now, a few weeks ago, Craig preached a sermon on uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 21, where Paul writes that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Craig explained that we are not here on this earth to deal with the suffering and the pain and the hurt because God thinks it's funny. But we are here on this earth still because there is still work to be done. There are still people who need to hear God's love 
and God's truth and who need to experience the peace and the joy that only he can bring. And church, I would imagine that if all of us thought about it, we wouldn't have to think too long and think too hard to think of somebody in our lives who has fallen away from Christ, who is no longer in a walk with Christ. And we don't have to look far into the news to see all of the hatred and the brokenness that goes on in our world. But church, if we truly want to bring transformation, if we truly want to bring change in the world and bring back our brothers and our sisters who have fallen away, then clearly we can't do it alone. Because clearly when we try to do it alone, all we're doing is just dropping little droplets of water, little droplets of Christ's love and little droplets of Christ's truth into the world. But when we are together and are unified as one, that is when transformation truly takes place. If we truly want to bring about change and transformation in this world, we must be unified. If we look in Philippians, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, Paul tells us that if we have been baptized, if we have accepted Christ as our Lord and our Savior, if we have Christ in our heart and his love flowing through us and his compassion flowing out of us, then we will be unified. But church, quite frankly, when I look around, not just here at Southwest, but as a body in general, I don't see that that's the case. I don't see that everybody who has claimed that, Lord, that Jesus is their Lord and that they have claimed that they have Jesus' love flowing through them and his compassion flowing out of them, I don't see that we are all unified. I see that we are still broken and that at times we're still trying to do it on our own. We're still trying to accomplish these goals all by ourselves instead of as a unified body of Christ. So the question becomes, why? What is stopping us from truly being unified as a body? And I think that part of the answer comes on two different ends of the spectrum. First off is when we discredit other people, when we discredit their worth and their citizenship within the body, that is when harm truly takes place. Now, as I say this phrase, I ask that you take some time to truly think about what it truly implies. So when we go up to youth, when we go up to students, when we go up to children, and we tell them, look, you guys are part of the next generation of believers. You guys are part of the next generation of the body. Now, at first, it doesn't sound bad. It doesn't sound like it's causing any harm. I myself am guilty of saying this. I myself am guilty of putting myself in that group. But when we tell people that they are part of the next generation of the body and of the believers, all we are telling them is that, look, you're not part of it yet. When we go up to youth and children and say, look, you're part of that next generation, we're saying, look, you guys are almost there. You guys are like on that next step, and then you guys will truly be there. But right now, you're not really part of the body. You're not really a believer. You're too young. You'll be there one day, but right now, you just got to hold on tight. That's all we're telling them is that they're not part of it. And we are completely throwing away what God could use, through, use them for by telling them that they are not yet. If we look within the early history of the church, we could read about a group of people called the Judaizers. And the Judaizers were a group of Jewish Christians who would go up and tell Gentiles, look, if you guys like really want to be a part of the body, if you really want to be a part of the church and 
really want to be a believer, then you'll accept all of this stuff, all of this Jewish stuff first, and then you can accept Jesus, and then you'll actually be a part of the body. But until you accept all, all of our stuff, you're only second class, man. You're not really a part of the body. And so in contemporary Christianity, maybe we don't say the same thing. Maybe we don't go up to people and say, look, you have to follow all of these certain laws before you can really be a Christian. But are we not causing just as much harm as they did when we place ourselves on a pedestal by discrediting other people? When we look at other people and say, look, you're like kind of part of the body, but like you're like only the pinky toe. You're not like really a part of the body. Like if we cut you off, it really wouldn't matter that much. That's, is that not what we're telling people when we discredit them? When we don't value them for as much of a part of the body as we are? When we look at lay people, people who just show up on Sundays, and we look at them and we say, look, you guys aren't really part of the body. You guys aren't really as much a part of the body as like the pastors and the elders and the deacons and all them, right? Are we not discrediting people's value within the body when we do that? Because the truth is that all of those are just titles, that none of that really matters because all of us have our own role in unifying and glorifying God. In the text, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul even tells us, he says, look, whether you're a slave or whether you're free, whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, it doesn't really matter because you're all part of the body. You are all coming together to form one body. And the thing is that we can add any characteristic to that. We can say, look, because whether you're young or whether you're old, you're a part of the body. Whether you're this or whether you're that, you are part of the body. All of us have a role in unifying the church in one faith. All of us have a role in glorifying the God. But on the other hand, when we discredit ourselves, we are doing just as much harm and causing just as many cuts as we do when we discredit other people. When we look at ourselves and say, look, I'm not really good enough. I'm not gifted enough to get up on a stage and preach. I'm not gifted enough to lead a small group. I'm not gifted enough to invite people to come over to my home even just for dinner. I'm not gifted enough. When we discredit ourselves, we are doing just as much harm and causing just as much separation within the body of Christ. Because church, the truth is that all of us have been given gifts and every one of us is gifted in a special way in order to achieve Christ's goal in a special way. There's not a single one of us who can reach a group of people the way that another one can. I cannot preach the gospel and spread God's love the way that you can. And you cannot spread and preach the gospel the way that the person next to you can. Each and every one of us has been gifted in a special way in order to reach a special group of people, in order to reach a specific goal. But at the end of the day, it's all to glorify God. But every one of us has been gifted in a special way. And at the end of the day, the bottom line is that all of us have been given the greatest gift that could ever have been given. When Christ died on that cross to forgive us of our sins, to offer us grace, that is the greatest gift that we could ever have been given. And so for us to say, look, I'm not gifted, is to spit in his face. Say, what you did, that's not really a gift to me. But that grace that he has given you, that is the greatest gift that you could ever have received. 
And that is the greatest gift that you can ever extend to somebody. So all of that about you not being gifted enough is just lies from Satan and him trying to tear you away from glorifying God and achieving the purpose that God has for your life. Because each and every one of you is gifted in a special way and with the grace of God. If we look in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, Paul tells us that Christ has given us the apostles and Christ has given us the prophets and he has given us pastors and he has given us teachers in order to build up and in order to unify the church in one faith. He tells us, look, Christ has given you the apostles in order to testify about Jesus, to testify about what he has done in their life in order for us to read scripture and be built up in one faith. Paul tells us that he has given us pastors. He is raising up pastors in order to come here and bring a congregation of believers and build them up in their faith. Teach them how to walk in the way that Christ did. Teach them how to love the way that Christ did. He tells us that he has given us teachers in order to teach us how to live more like Christ. He has given us all of these different peoples in order to unify us and to build us up as the church and as the body of believers. But at the end of chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians, Paul raises the question. He asks, well, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all pastors? Are all teachers? And the answer is clearly no. But the question is, why is he asking us this? I think the reason that Paul raises this question is to highlight the fact that it doesn't matter because all of us are important and all of us have a role in glorifying God and unifying the body in one faith. Each and every one of us has our own specific job and our own specific role in unifying the body. Now, church, I want you to take a moment and think about all the different body parts that you have, your arms, your hands, your fingers, your toes, eyes, ears, nose, all those body parts that God has given you. Now, I want you to think about the function that each one of them plays in carrying out your daily uh, actions of life. Walking, talking, eating, hearing, tasting, all these different things. And when we think about this, we realize that there is not a single body part that can do the job of another one. My hands cannot do what my feet can do, and my legs cannot do what my arms can do. My arms cannot look at my feet and say, you know, man, you're just not important. We'll just throw you away and, you know, you're just not it, right? But all of our body parts are vitally important in carrying out our daily actions of life. And it is the same way with you. As body parts, as parts of the body of Christ, each and every one of you has your own goal, your own function in carrying out Christ's love and Christ's truth to those around us. Each and every one of you is vitally important in glorifying God. Now, church, if I was to fall right now, if my legs were just to give out and say, look, you know, we're just not doing it today. We're just, we're just giving out. It's just not going to happen today. You're just going to have to figure it out. And I just fell right here. First off, I would probably be on America's Funniest Home Videos by the end of the night, but... Immediately, as soon as my legs gave out, immediately, my arms would reach out to catch me. That's how the body of Christ needs to be. 
when we look around and we see our brothers and sisters, when we see a part of the body struggling, falling, failing, no longer able to do its function, we should be reaching our arms out to catch them, to catch the body, to build the body back up, to build them back up, to restore them to the place and to the goal that God has for them. We need to begin to reach out to catch our brothers and our sisters. Now, one of the most inspiring stories of the body of Christ that I've ever had the privilege of being a part of happened just a few short weeks ago. Now, as most of you know, just a few weeks ago, 26 of us from this church went down to Guatemala to serve. And while we were down there, Mike came up to us who were on staff, who were going on the church, and he asked us to lead a devotional each night after we finished working around the campfire. And so on Craig's night, he comes up and he says, all right, if you are from the age of 10 and under, please stand up. So some of the kids stood up. 11 to 20, please stand up. 21 to 30, please stand up. 41 to 50, 51 to 60. And he keeps on going until everybody there in that courtyard around that fire has stood up. And when we looked around, there were children from the age of eight all the way to people up in their 70s, all there for one purpose, to glorify God and to spread his love to people who may have never experienced it before. Church, that is the body of Christ. Because there in that moment, it did not matter what our age was. It did not matter what our ability was. It did not matter what we looked like. It did not matter. Because we were all there to glorify God. That is the body of Christ. Pray with me. Lord God, I thank you so much for this opportunity that you have given us to come here together to fellowship and to worship and to glorify your name. God, you are so, so good. And Lord, we thank you for the sacrifice that you paid on that cross to build us up, God. To bring us to unity as your body, to carry out the goals that you would have for us in spreading your love and in spreading your truth. God, I pray that as we leave this room today, God, that we would not leave the way that we came in. But God, I pray that we would leave different, that we would leave with the mindset that we are all part of the body and that we all have a role in unifying the church and in building up the body of Christ. God, thank you for who you are, God, and thank you for what you have done. In your name I pray, amen.